before you again to ask you, you speak to us now through your word. May we see what it is that you want to show us and may we understand that we understand you more, Lord. Lord, show us and, and, and reveal to us what it means to be under your authority. Not the authority of man, not the authority of a political system, Lord, but under your authority and why it's so good and why it's so amazing and why it's eternally worth it, Lord. Lord, fill this room with your Holy Spirit. Just use me as your instrument and tool to speak your truth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. An office manager was complaining in their staff meeting that he wasn't getting any respect. The next day, he attached a small sign to his office door, and on that sign, it said, I'm the boss. Later that day, um, when he returned home from lunch, or when we returned back to work from lunch, um, he noticed that somebody had taken um, note over his sign, and he put they put another note over it, and uh, it read, "Your wife called. She wants her sign back." Now Oscar Wilde once said this: "Wherever there's a man, wherever there's a man who exercises authority, there is a man who resists authority." In our story this morning, Jesus' divine authority, his, the, the, his authority that came from God, is publicly challenged by a group of men who felt that their own authority, that their own positions were being threatened. We're going to see how Jesus was able to outsmart those who were attempting to delegitimize, delegitimize him. And we're going well, to learn who gave Jesus his authority and why it was given to him. And finally, we're going to examine the importance of trusting, relying, and submitting to Jesus' authority over our lives. What you'll discover this morning is that there's nowhere better than to be than under the authority of Jesus Christ. Under his authority is, is absolutely the best place you can be in. So as I said, please um, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. That's where we're going to be at. And we're going to begin in verse 27. Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 27. They came again to Jerusalem. As he was walking in the temple complex, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came and asked him, By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority to do these things? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, and then answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Was John's baptism from heaven or from men? Answer me. They began to argue among themselves. If we say from heaven, he will say, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, they were afraid of the crowd because everyone thought that John was a genuine prophet. So they answered, we don't know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. 
Now, in our story here, we're still on the third day. Um, we saw on the first day they made a triumphal entry. Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Um, he paid a visit to the temple, and um, he just clears everything out. He doesn't like what he sees. I'm, I'm sorry, that, that was the second day, but he, he makes a triumphal in, entry that first day. The second day is when he goes into the temple and um, clears it out. Now here again, now, is, now we're on the third day. Now our story here takes place sometime after the explanation of the, why the fig tree was withered. And that's what we covered last week. Now, um, if you recall, the day prior to that, Jesus had cleared the temple complex. When we covered that, um, we saw that in verse, verse 18, we read that the chief priests and the scribes had heard about what Jesus had done. They realized and they understood and had heard what Jesus has done, had done. And they, as a result, we see in verse 18 that they started looking for a way to destroy him because the whole crowd was astonished by his teaching. Now, it was on his third day in Jerusalem that, that Jesus was in Jerusalem and he's back there in the temple and he's just there walking around. Now, um, as we read this passage, it appears that, uh, that his teaching on what the temple was supposed to be for and what it was meant for um, had been heeded. People were listening to what he was saying because, and we know this because there's no indication that business went back to, to normal. Um, I believe that if he had seen things going back to normal, he probably would have done the same thing he did, he did that day. He would have cleared it up. Now, if this was the case, if people were actually listening to him, people were actually paying attention to what, he was, what his teaching on what the temple was meant for, um, it appears that the people were listening. People were actually paying attention to what he was saying. So as Jesus is there at the temple, now, and, and it's, there's no selling, there's no animal noises, there's no you know, money going around. Um, it's just now people are there worshiping. As he's there, it's quite possible that he's now just really just enjoying the sounds of worship. He's just hearing people worshiping God. And if this was the case, I'm, I'm sure that he was enjoying it thoroughly. Now, as he's there, walking around the temple, just checking it out. He's approached by three groups of people. The first group was the chief priests. These, these chief priests were the top-ranking religious priests who were supposed to be instructing and leading the people in worship. These were the top dogs. These were the top uh, priests that were there that were, um, that were leading people in worship. Then you also have the scribes. These were the teachers of the law. These were the ones who were supposed to be teaching and interpreting the scriptures to the people. These are again are your legal uh, religious lawyers, um, those who understood, who studied this, who wrote down the Bible, the Old Testament, word by word, with their hand, with a pen. That's how they, that's how they copied it. That's how they um, transferred it from one, 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 one area to another. These were the scribes. And you also have the elders. These were the influential religious and political leaders who the people look up to. These were your community leaders. These were your um, 
the people that I guess you would see um, doing council meetings, you know, doing, um, looking out for the community, looking out for the people. These were the elders. Now, as they approached Jesus, instead of just talking to him, instead of just um, wanting to have a conversation with him, they began to interrogate him. They began to demand answers from him. Rather than just going up to him and saying, hey, Jesus, <coughs> we noticed that you did this. You came in in a donkey with all this, you know, all these palm branches and people throwing their coats and, and you walked into the temple. Uh, instead of just having a simple conversation with him, they start to interrogate. They start to give him these, um, start to question him like a police officer would question um, a suspect in the crime. And they demand two basic answers from him. By what authority are you doing these things? By saying that, in other words, they were saying, who do you think you are? And what right do you have to do this? And their second question was, who gave you this authority to do these things? Again, essentially asking, who made you boss? Who put you in charge? You see Jesus coming into this temple, I mean, into Jerusalem, and all this fanfare, all this, you know, people are screaming at him and yelling hallelujah, and, and, um, and now he's going into the temple and just tearing up the place. And these guys now, the leaders, the religious leaders, the teachers, were now asking him, who made you boss? Who do you think you are? I mean, I think it would be a common question I think many of us would ask if someone came to our house or someone came to your um, you know maybe your room and just started tearing the place apart someone maybe you didn't even know you might be asking who do you think you are who gave you the authority to do these things now by asking him these questions they were attempting to basically put Jesus into a dilemma they were they were trying to box him in they were trying to to trap him. If Jesus had, had answered, "By my, I do these things by my authority, what do you think would have been the response? They probably would have labeled him a lunatic. They probably would have labeled him insane. Now had he said, I'm doing this by God's authority, they would have accused him of blasphemy. They would have accused him of, of uh, speaking against, you know, making himself equal to God. Now, what was their goal? What were they intending to do? Their goal was to do actually both. To delegitimize Jesus by finding ways to bring religious charges against him and embarrass him publicly by making him look crazy. That's what they were trying to do. Because again, they were in a crowded temple. And what they were again trying to do was trying to destroy him, trying to delegitimize him, make him look bad in front of all the people, all these people that were praising him, all these people that were listening to him. They were trying to delegitimize him and publicly humiliate him. Well, in our, again, in our passage here, it doesn't seem like Jesus is caught off guard. It doesn't seem like he's surprised. It doesn't seem like he's... You know, he's like, well, what, what's going on here? Why are you guys coming at me like this? 
He's not surprised by his interrogators. And as verse 29 tells us, rather than giving in for their to their demands for, for answers, he pretty much tells them this, I will answer both of your questions if you just answer one of mine. That's all I want to know. I will answer everything you want and I will answer both your questions. Just answer this one question of mine. And it sounds like a pretty good deal on the offset. You hear something like that and you're like, okay, well, you know, you, we want to know, we want to have answers, so go ahead and shoot with your question. We'll, we, we can take it. And then he tells them, was John's baptism from heaven? I'm sorry, from, yeah, from heaven or from men? All of a sudden, all of a sudden, Jesus had turned the tables. Without them even knowing, he had turned the tables on these men, and now they found themselves backed into a corner as he tells them, answer me. Again, you have to imagine being, being there. You're, he turns the table and he tells them, okay, well, John's baptism, was it from heaven and from men? And as they're kind of in shock, he tells them, answer me. Now with the eyes of every witness now, on these religious leaders, on these men, these, this group that came unified, it came together in order to attack Jesus, in order to delegitimize him, in order to interrogate him, we now see that they're arguing amongst themselves. Now, by this time, if you remember, um, the death of John the Baptist was still fresh on everyone's mind. John had been, John was an innocent man. He didn't do anything, but he was brutally murdered by John the Baptist, I mean, by, by Herod. We covered, uh, we covered a little bit of that story of this celebration was going on and Herod's um, stepdaughter gave this um, provocative dance. He was well pleased. He asked her, what, you know, what do you want? I'll give you everything up to half my kingdom. And she says, I want John the, the head of John the Baptist on a, on a platter. And what does he do? He goes down to the dungeon. He has, his, he has John executed because he was embarrassed. He didn't want to save face. He didn't want to look bad in front of his crowd, or in front of his guests. So he goes, you know, and, and uh, has John the Baptist beheaded. And then he does what she asks, and that's bring his head on a silver platter. People that know about this now. The story goes out, people hear about it, and now they're, you know, it's still fresh in their mind. John, he might have been this weird guy out in the desert. He, was, but he, was, he wasn't doing anything wrong. He was just out there preaching repentance, baptizing people. And, people, and now the public understand, they realize now that he was beheaded by, John the Bat, by, by Herod, and it's still there. It's like, what the heck, what, what happened? And now none of the Gospels, you know, we also find out none of the Gospels tell us that none of the religious leaders did anything to help him out. They didn't denounce Herod. They didn't go out and reach, reach out to him and try to advocate for him to get him out of prison, to get him out of jail. 
They didn't do anything. They just stood by. Now, with this one question Jesus asked, he managed to shift the burden of proof off of him and onto his interrogators, onto, this, onto these men. And as they argued amongst themselves, okay, how are we going to answer this? How, you know, they, they understand that they, now they're being put in a predicament. And they realize there's only two logical answers. There's only two ways they can answer this. And whichever way they answered was going to damage their reputation. They risked damaging their reputation among each other, amongst, amongst each other in the group. And it was going to be damaging. It was going to damage their reputation with the public. And here was their reasoning, and here's what they thought. If we say from heaven, he, Jesus, will say, then why didn't you believe him? Had they said that they believed John the Baptist was a true prophet of God, and that was, you know, that's what they were arguing here. Had they said that John the Baptist was a true prophet of God, they would have been guilty of purposely rejecting God's messenger. A messenger, this messenger who said this about Jesus, who declared this about Jesus, I have seen and testified that he is the Son of God. Do you, do you guys get that? I mean, it's like, had they said that, yeah, we, we believe John, Jesus would have been, well, if you thought he was a prophet, why didn't you help him? Why didn't you listen to him? Why didn't you be, why weren't you baptized? And that was bad news for them. He would have, he would have been like, how come you didn't listen to him when he said who I was? If you would have listened to him, if you would have believed him, if you would have, if, if that's what, if, if you would have came to that conclusion, you wouldn't be asking me this question. You wouldn't be coming at me like this. The thing is, even if they had actually believed John, the question about Jesus' authority would have, would have been evident and it wouldn't even be worth discussing. The other dilemma was, but if we say from men, they were terrified of the crowd because everyone thought that John was a genuine prophet. What if you believed? What if you believed that there was a prophet walking around your schools or your works or whatever, or your work, and, and you actually believed that with all your heart? And people were trying to, and now they were asking, who do you think he is? And someone and that and people were saying it was something crazy. How would you feel if they accused the person you believed in to be a crazy man? I think you know most of us, most of you, would probably be like, be defending and would be like, "What are you talking about? You don't even, you don't even know the guy. You don't even know what you're talking about." Had they said, had they said that there was there was nothing unique about John, and that he was just another crazy purse prophet in the desert their influence among the people would have been lost. And for all these men, there was nothing more important. There was nothing more sacred. There was nothing they held on to more than being praised by the people. That was ultimately 
but they were afraid of. They were VIPs. They would walk down the streets and people would greet them and say hi and, and, and talk to them, be invited and to, to their homes. And, and they were celebrities. And now, had they said this about John the Baptist, that he was just a crazy person, they were afraid of losing that status. They were afraid of losing that, um, that influence they had among the people. So rather than making the hard decision to take one side or the other, they chose the easy way out. Rather than saying, okay, he was a prophet or um, he was just a crazy person, they decided to take the easy way out. Out of this predicament and said, we don't know. We don't know. We don't, we don't know if he's a prophet. We don't know if he's a crazy person. We, we don't know. That was their response. Again, looking at the crowd, how do you think they react? They probably be like, ooh, you know, they they probably they probably would have you probably would have heard some cheers, some jeers, and and you know people hissing or whatever. But for them, temporary that temporary embarrassment, that temporary, um, you know, being red faced and and shocked or embarrassed was better than permanently uh, losing their positions and popularity. And upon hearing that, and hearing that um, the easy answer and that the, the weak answer they gave, Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. You see, even, even if Jesus would have answered their question, even if he would have told them what they wanted to know, it was obvious they wouldn't change their opinion about him. They had already made up their minds. They were already convinced in their minds who he was and, and that he, no one was going to take their authority away from him, from them. The burden to discredit Jesus and change the public's opinion was on them. That was what they wanted to do. They wanted to change the public's opinion on them so they can sway the crowd, so they can finally just get rid of Jesus one way or another. And that burden to do that wasn't on Jesus, it was on them. That's what they needed to do. That was, that was their goal. And it was becoming clear, it was becoming evident that their goal to destroy him, to destroy Jesus, it wasn't going to be easy. It wasn't going to be a simple thing to do. It was going to be challenging. This question of authority. This question of authority was a point of contention throughout Jesus' ministry. It was something that, was, that he constantly struggled with, with a lot of the religious leaders in every town he went to. From the moment Jesus began teaching, every time one of the religious leaders argued with him, they were essentially questioning his authority. Jesus' authority wasn't, wasn't just a question for the first century scribes, for those first century religious leaders. It's a supreme question that unbelievers face today. Ever since Adam and Eve, 
sinned in the garden, humans began to develop an intrinsic need to push against anything or anyone that keeps them from doing anything they want to do. When a person sins, they're rebelling against God. They're basically defying God. They're saying, you know what? I know what's best for me. I'm going to do what I want to do. It's a rebellion against God's authority. And it's that rebelliousness that separates man and God. And it's just not his, his authority. It's just not his authority that we're prone to rebel against. We also tend to rebel against the authorities that God has placed against us. And time after time, story after story in the Old Testament, um, you hear stories of people rebelling against all kinds of authority. I mean, we see it um, in everyday life. All you have to do is look around. Wherever there's a defiance of authority, wherever there's a defiance of authority that God, that, that God has ordained, that God has placed, you will find arguments, you will find fights, there will be fights, there will be divisions, there will be gossip, there will be jealousy, deceit, and violence. And if you don't believe me, again, just yeah, look at the news and look at some of the stuff that we've been seeing, some of these riots. That is a, a, a great example of people rebelling against the authority that God has placed. They're not happy with it. They don't want it. And so they push against it because they don't want to fall under that authority. This defiance of authority happens in homes. It happens in workplaces. It happens in schools. It happens in politics, communities. And yes, it even happens in churches. When it comes to this, this topic, there are two interesting facts history and sociology will teach you. Those who defy authority, those who defy authority the most are the ones who will demand that their authority be respected. And the second thing is, if authority isn't willfully given to that which is more powerful and stronger, it's only a matter of time before it's unwillingly, unwillingly relinquished. So let me ask you this. Why do you think people have such a hard time submitting to authority? Why do you think people are in constant rebellion, rebelliousness to, to, to authority? Whether it be you know, to political leaders, whether it be to our parents, whether it be to teachers, whether it be to other leaders, why is there a, a push against them? To answer that question, it's important to first understand what authority means. What is authority? The Oxford Dictionary defines authority as the power or right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. Sometimes that authority is forcefully taken, but more often it's given. That authority 
could be a person or an organization having political or administrative powers, power and control. And here's what, here's what this looks like in our society. In society, that authority is granted to our political leaders, it's granted to law enforcement officers, it's granted to teachers, and in some, <coughs> and in some cases, it's, it's granted to, to church leaders. At work, that authority is, uh, it's, it's our bosses, it's our supervisors, and at home, it's your parents. As Christians, as believers and followers of Christ, our authority, Jesus Christ, is our authority. So to answer the question, why do people have a hard time submitting to any to to submitting authority? It's because of this. I'm gonna you, you know hear a few points. Here's the reason. Here's a few reasons why people have such a hard time submitting to authority. Number one, that authority becomes an obstacle to their own endeavors. Man, you're getting in the way. That that person of authority is getting in the way of my me trying to achieve my superiority, to achieve my authority. And that's why I'm no longer gonna accept that person's authority. Or that, you know, not just a person again, but it could be um, an organization. Number two, that authority no longer serves a personal interest. And you have nothing to give me. I have, you know, uh, your your authority, it means nothing to me now. I, there's nothing that you can do for me now, and I'm I'm done with you. Number three, that authority has been given to someone else or something else. And this and what this looks like is, you know what. You're, you know, you were a good leader, um, but I'm done with you. I'm gonna give my, yeah, I'm gonna give my authority, or I'm gonna hand my authority over to somebody else, someone else that's better than you, or something else that's better than you. And number four, because that authority opposes or violates a person's ideological, philosophical, and theological beliefs. Man, I. I don't agree with you anymore, or I don't agree with that um, political party or that organization's stance. You know, for me, ideologically, um, philosophically, I just don't agree with it anymore, and I'm no longer going to support that, and I'm just going to push myself away from, from that person or organization. And it happens in churches again, too. People just say, you know what, I don't believe that anymore. I don't believe um, I'm not going to fall under, under their authority anymore. In our story, it seems like the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders were never going to submit to Jesus' authority. No matter what he said, no matter how he explained it, they weren't going to submit to his authority. And I think it had, you know, there was a different reasons, and I think part there was small reasons um, some of the reasons were because of the things that we covered. But the main reason, the main reason was, was he was not being an obstacle. He was in, Jesus was an obstacle to their own endeavors. 
You see, the positions of authority these men held was something they either inherited, it was passed down to them from generation to generation, or they had earned it. They had worked hard for it. They scraped and they crawled and they did the dirty jobs and, and years and years of working to get into those positions. They worked, they worked from the bottom to get to the top. And now they achieve this position that they were working their entire lifetime for, and they're there. And, 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 and now they see this man threatening that position, or threatening the position that had been handed over for generations. Whatever power, whatever power and authority these men had, had in fact, the reality is, it had in fact been given to them by other men. Jesus Christ, however, and this is what's so amazing, Jesus Christ, however, knew without a shadow of a doubt by what authority he did everything and who gave him that authority. He knew it. He, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't earn it. He didn't have to work hard for it. His authority was given to him by God. In Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Again, the question is, who gave him that authority? Well, the answer is, God the Father gave it to him. Now, here's what else Jesus said about his authority. Here's what else he said about the authority that was given to him. In Matthew eleven twenty seven, he says, All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone whom the Son desires to reveal him. In John three thirty five, he also says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. And when he was praying in the garden, as he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before his crucifixion, the night before his crucifixion, he cried out, "Father!" And again, he's he's crying out, and you can hear the anguish in his voice. "Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that your Son may glorify you. You gave him authority over all flesh, so that he may give eternal life to all." You have given him. And then one more. Here's what Paul said in Ephesians 1.20. He, being Jesus, demonstrated this power. I'm sorry. He, being God, demonstrated this power in the Messiah by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens. Far above every ruler and every authority, power, and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but in the age, and in, but the one to come. Think about what that absolute authority. He, God gave Jesus this absolute authority. Think about what that absolute, absolute authority means. The Father knows the sheep, and they are His. He gives them to his son. 
the Father, God the Father gives life-giving authority to the Son, and the Son gives life to all the Father, to all that the Father has given him. I don't know, but as I think about that, it just blows my mind. So why? Here's another question. Why should you submit to Jesus' authority? Why is it important for you to submit as believers to submit to Jesus' authority? Because there's no one God entrusted more to speak, act, and represent Him than His Son. This would be as if I sent one of my sons to speak on my behalf. If I said, hey, you know what, um, Jacob or Anthony, I'm going to be, I got this thing going on, but you know, I need for you to act as my representative to speak on my behalf to so-and-so person or to this group. Me doing that basically means that I trust them, that they're not going to speak on their own behalf. They're not going to say, you know, they're not going to act and behave and talk on their own behalf, but they're going to be going there as my representative, as, you know, to represent me, and they're going to be speaking on my behalf. God entrusted Jesus with that same task. In Matthew 17, 5, God the Father said this. He said this about Jesus. This is my beloved Son. I take delight in Him. Listen to Him. Now, I don't know about you, but I know that, that God is a good and holy God. And nothing he says is a lie. And, he, and, and if he tells me that he put Jesus in charge, if that's who we put in charge to represent him and he speaks for, and, and Jesus speaks for God and, and, and talks for God and he is God, and he tells me to listen to him, I'm going to submit to that authority. I'm gonna I'm gonna submit to to Jesus authority Jesus you want me to you want me to go do something yeah I'm gonna, I'm gonna go do it I'm going to submit to the authority God has given his son I want to give you four reasons four reasons you can trust and rely on the authority of Jesus Christ number one he will give you assurance and hope. Under the authority of Jesus Christ, you can be assured that he will never abandon you and always keep, and he'll always keep his promises. Number two, he will strengthen and encourage you. Under the authority of Jesus Christ, he empowers you with the Holy Spirit to continue to do his work through hardships, and difficulties and encourages you when you face those trials and those tribulations. Number three, he will bring you safety and security. Under the authority of Jesus Christ, he shields and protects you from evil spiritual forces that constantly want to destroy you. They constantly want to bring you down 
that want to destroy your life, that want to do, you know, bring you into bondage and bring you into submission. These evil spiritual forces want to separate you from God. But under his authority, again, he shields and protects you. And he will allow you to experience the impossible. That's number four. Under the authority of Jesus Christ, he will reveal his power in a way that is absolutely evident to you, but unexplainable to others. And what I mean by that is you're going to see when, when Jesus, when you're under the authority of Jesus Christ, you're going to start seeing and understanding things that are, you know, it's going to blow you away and you're going to be like, wow, God is an amazing, powerful, wonderful God. And others that don't have that relation, that aren't under his authority, are going to be like, what are you talking about, man? You know, that's just a, a you know, one of, the re- one of the things they could say is just a, just a rare phenomenon. You know, or it, it, you know, it's just a freak accident. But you, under his authority, you're going to be like, no, that's God. And you're going to know, you're going to have that confidence. He's going to, you're going to be experiencing some pretty amazing things. And, and you can experience the impossible. Here's the truth, guys. Here's the truth. Everyone is under something, is under the authority of someone or something else. No one is has absolute autonomy. No one. You know, you hear these songs, musicians, activists, protesters saying, you know what? I'm under no authority. No one has authority over me. But the reality is they are under some sort of authority. I read this funny story I wanted to share with you. When Christian Herter was governor of Massachusetts, he was running hard for a second term in office. One day after a busy morning chasing votes and no lunch, he arrived at a church barbecue. It was late afternoon and Herder was famished. As Herder moved down the serving line, he held out his plate to the woman serving chicken. She put a piece on his plate and then turned to the next person in line. Excuse me, Governor Herder said. Do you mind if I have another piece of chicken? Sorry, the woman told him. I'm supposed to give one piece of chicken to each person. But I'm starved. The governor said. Sorry, the woman said again. Only one, only one to a customer. Governor Herder was a modest and unassuming man, but he decided that this time he would throw a little bit of weight. He would throw his little bit, little bit of weight around. Do you know who I am? He said. I'm the governor of the state. Do you know who I am? The woman said. I'm the lady in charge of the chicken. Move along. Again, that's, you know, you have a man there who was the governor of the state. He had people serving under him. He was a person in a position of authority. And at that moment, he realized, wow, I'm not in charge of everything. You know, this person has, this person with the chicken is a person in charge. They're the ones who have, that this lady has authority. 
spiritually, you either given you you either you've either given God authority over your life, or you've given it over to the things of this world. That's spiritually speaking. I mean, you, we I can go on and on about you know authority and who you've given it to and what kinds of authority there is. But for this example, for our case here, spiritually, you've either given God authority over your life or you've given it to the things of this world. This is what Paul said in Ephesians 4.18 about those that are under the authority of this world. It says in he says in Ephesians 4.18, They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. Those that are under the influence and authority of the world. To break that down a little bit, they are darkened. He says they are darkened in their understanding. It means they have no light. There's nothing. It just doesn't click. They're... They're ignorant. They're excluded, separated, apart from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their heart. So not only are they ignorant, darkened, but they also have hard hearts. And because of that, they became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with the desire to do more and more. However, on the other hand, this is what Ezekiel 36, verses 25 and 27 says about those who have chosen to surrender to God's authority. This is God speaking. I will also sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statues and carefully observe my ordinances. That's what he does when you fall under his authority, under the authority of God. So as we begin to close here, my question to you is, whose authority are you under? Whose authority are you under? Are you under the authority of Jesus Christ or are you under the authority of this world? If it's Jesus Christ, and I want to encourage you to continue to walk worthy of the calling you received. However, if it's this world, then I urge you to carefully listen to the warning Paul gives in Acts, in Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31. Therefore, having overlooked the times, of, the, the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. By the, again, by the man he put into authority. He has provided proof of this 
to everyone by raising him from the dead. The chief priests, the scribes, the elders doubted the authority of Jesus because he had become a threat to their influence, power, position, and authority among the people. Jesus didn't have to explain or justify his, you know, where his authority came from or why he had this authority. He absolutely knew where, knew where it came from and who gave it to him. Therefore, you can trust him to have you can trust him to have this authority over your life. You can absolutely say, yes, Lord, I'm going to give you authority over life. You're going to be in charge of my life. I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to give myself completely over to you. Therefore, again, you can trust him to have authority over life because under his authority, there is assurance and hope. There is strength and encouragement. There is safety and security. There is power to do the impossible. Perhaps you're one that's not yet submitted to Christ because you've, you've doubted his authority. Maybe you're like the scribes, these Pharisees and elders, and have been like, who do you think you are? Who gave you, who gave you this authority to, to want to control and rule my life? If that's you, if you're doubting, but you you hear the story, you you and you see why it's important to to give him authority. Well, maybe it's time you stop doubting him. Maybe you stop you know accusing him and stop questioning his authority, and just believe in him. Give him that opportunity. Give him that authority that he wants to do in your that he wants in your life. And watch, over time, you're going to see him work in such a marvelous way that your life is just never going to be the same again. He, he's not going to force it out of you. He's not going to force, he's not going to demand that, that you, he's not going to demand authority over life. It's something that you just have to give him. And little by little, the, and when you do, little by little, you're going to start surrendering more and more and more. And you'll see again, your life will never be the same. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you um, for showing us what it means to be under your authority. What it means to have you as our Lord as our Savior. And Lord, give us the strength to submit to that authority, to be obedient to that authority. And you find yourself at that place where you're ready now to submit to, to surrender to divine authority to surrender to Jesus' authority. You're done fighting. You're done believing that you're in control and you're in charge. You've tried that for so long and now your life is just a big mess. And 
now you're ready to surrender to Jesus. He's calling you, and that's what exactly he wants you to do. If that's you, and you're ready to give your life over to Jesus Christ, to give him the authority, in the quietness of your heart, just pray this. God, forgive me for my sins. I have been disobedient and I have turned away from you. I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that my sins are placed upon him. I confess with my mouth that he is Lord. that it's only through him that I can be redeemed. Lord, give me the strength to follow you. I accept your forgiveness. And I ask that you fill me with your Holy Spirit. Guide me and teach me your ways as I surrender more of, my, more of myself to you. And I pray for us, for believers, Lord, that are walking under your authority. Continue to build them up. Continue to encourage them. Continue to um, strengthen them. Give them the hope that they need, Lord. Show them your supernatural power. In Jesus' holy name, amen.